Today's guest is Melissa Humana Paredes, an incredible professional beach volleyball player. Melissa is a six-time FIVB gold medalist, 12-time FIVB medalist, five-time Canadian champion, and most recently, a world champion. Melissa has had such an inspiring journey starting her professional career very young and continuing to grow into the sport. But today, she tells us about the mistakes and errors that she made along the way and how she learned to grow from all of them. Melissa touches on the topics of body image and confidence, but she also talks to us about how she stayed engaged and avoided burnout in an individual sport like beach volleyball. Melissa reminds us that how we respond to failure is the most important determinant of our careers, both on and off the court, and that when failure does happen, we need to give ourselves grace. It's often hard to do, but it's such an important lesson for all of us. Whether we are in high school or trying to make college teams, collegiate athletes trying to make conference championship teams, or even entrepreneurs running a business. Welcome to the Voice and Sport podcast, Melissa. We're so excited to have you here with us today. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a long time coming. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Well, we love to have Canadians on this team. I myself come from a Canadian Olympic dad, so it's always a pleasure to speak with incredible women from Canada. So both of your parents were also accomplished athletes and coaches. Your mom was a ballet dancer and your dad was a volleyball player too. And he was actually part of the Chilean national team and later coached Canada's John Child and Marquise to a bronze Olympic medal. So how did having parents who were such incredible athletes impact how you grew up as an athlete and how you viewed sports? I think it was really formative for myself growing up to be surrounded by these two figures that prioritized physical activity and that prioritized healthy competition. And it really just kind of set the foundation for how I approached my entire life. I think I feel really lucky and maybe I didn't realize it at the time, but I feel really lucky to have had these influences because I think having parental role models who model what you want to do in life can be tricky as well. Like I think it can be overbearing at times. Maybe it strains the relationship or maybe it strains your relationship with the sport you choose or the activity you choose. And I feel really lucky that that never happened in my instance. And I think they were so supportive of whatever I chose. I think they just wanted to make sure that I was active, healthy, and happy. And, and whatever I chose, whether it was sports or not, that they would support and they would be happy with. I was never pushed to do anything. And they kind of just laid all the cards out in front of me and put me in a bunch of different things and see what stuck. And fortunately for me, I found my calling and I found what stuck and that was beach volleyball, much to my mom's dismay who wanted me to become a ballerina. But as soon as I put on a tutu, I was just furious. So that didn't work out for me, but beach volleyball did. And I am where I am today because of, because of them. That's amazing. Well, I'm sure your mom's not disappointed with you now. You're on Team Canada and you've won several championships. So pretty incredible run. I do want to kind of go back to those early years, though. Did you always just play volleyball or did you try a lot of different sports? And then how in the end did you choose your sport? Yeah, great question. When I was young, I did try a bunch of different things. I was in swimming and I was in soccer. I did hip hop lessons. I did, I mean, piano lessons and I, I did acting. Like I really did everything, like I tried everything and I was not good at a lot of it. I did, I did a lot competitively at a young age just to kind of be active. And then I started to realize I didn't like not being good at it or at something. So the things that I wasn't good at, which is not a mentality that I abide by now or that I recommend, but the things that I was not good at, I didn't want to continue doing. And I started to gravitate towards things that felt more natural to me that I kind of had an easier grasp on. And over time that became volleyball and that was more natural. Again, it wasn't pushed on by my parents or by my dad specifically, given that it was his sport. But by the time I was in high school, I was pretty much only playing volleyball at school. I tried out for the junior and the senior teams and the co-ed teams at my high school and I was playing club volleyball. And I was just, I made every team and I was really, I felt really confident in that arena. But it also kind of 
on the other side, I didn't allow myself to try out for more teens in high school because I was afraid of getting rejected. And I remember I, I wish so badly now, I wish I tried out for the basketball team. I wish I did you know, track and field. I just wish I tried all these things. That's the time to do it. You know, when you're in those years and you can afford to just try these things, I think it would have made me a better athlete, actually, if I had just, you know, done all these different sports and kind of learned these different skills. It would have helped with my coordination and whatnot. But also I think the lessons behind that would have made me maybe more a resilient person in hindsight. I think I think it's always tough tough to talk about that. But I wish just, you know, trying things that were scary and outside of my comfort zone was something that I was comfortable doing back then. And that's one of the biggest lessons that I tell some friends of mine or some younger athletes is is to just try everything and don't be afraid to fail, even if it is so uncomfortable. Like I think I, I put myself in the volleyball world too soon. I committed too soon. And you know what? Maybe I wouldn't be a world champion had I not committed too soon. It's so hard to say. But I really just, at that time in my life, I was, I think, about 14 years old when I fully committed to volleyball and beach volleyball specifically. And, and I think maybe at times I think it's too young and that I wish I tried more sports. But it was, it was my passion. It was my love. And I just, I, I couldn't not do it. Yeah, I really appreciate what you're saying. And I think it's amazing advice to any young, young woman out there that's like maybe feeling pressured to specialize early. And instead, like really maybe exploring some of these other sports, even if you suck at it, just to try. I think it, like you said, it gives you things that you can use back in the sport, maybe that you are better at. So I think it's so important. And I want to dive a little bit into maybe then the pressure that was surrounding you as, you know, an athlete that was specializing in in volleyball and also had a dad who coached two Olympic male athletes into a bronze medal. You know, at one point your dad was your coach and then you were coached by John Child, the Olympic that your dad coached, which is which is amazing to have that caliber of coaching. But I'm I'm assuming that sometimes it might have been hard to remember who you are outside of your sport and you know, to not burn out. So did that happen to you in high school? Did you start to feel like you were getting burned out? And and if so, what advice do you have to the other girls out there that maybe they also specialized at like 13, 14, and they're now in like their junior year of high school and they're feeling burnt out? Yeah, I think that's such a great point. And I want to come back to, I, I think that I felt really lucky having the parents that I had and the coaches that I had, because while they were, you know, Olympic level coaches, for better or for worse, I feel like the Olympic journey or or the Olympic dream was kind of normalized in my household just because, you know, my my dad went to a few Olympics as a coach and and we would just kind of watch him on TV or just watch him travel the world. And it just seemed like, oh yeah, that's what dad's doing. Or, you know, it was just and he would bring home and he brought home a medal one time. And I would I was four years old when he brought home this this Olympic medal. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. And look, this is in my house. And and so at a very young age, I got this taste of the Olympics and this dream and, and all the things that it took. But it was just kind of like dinner time conversation as well. And so for for me, the Olympics was always top top of mind, but always something that just felt really attainable. Knowing what it what it took to get there, it kind of just normalized the experience. Again, it feels very weird saying that, but it kind of also took the pressure off a little bit between my dad and I, where he he never pressured me to get into the sport. He never pressured me to be you know I have to do this and I have to go to the Olympics and I have to be a world champion and, and all this kind of thing. I never felt that. I felt very supported from him being my coach. I think we, you know, initially had troubles finding that line between parent and coach, but we got there. And I think that can be really challenging to manage. But I think eventually it got to a point where I was in high school where I had to start choosing between, you know, being a high school kid and, you know, being just like a normal kid who's managing school and a social life, but then also this dream of mine. And I did, I remember I started to feel a little burnt out by my, I don't know, we say grade 11 or grade 12 in Canada. I don't know what that translates to in, in the US, but it's like your junior year in high school. Your there you go. Year. My junior, yeah. yes, my junior year. <laughs> yeah. And I remember feeling very alone and very lonely at that time. And, and I remember I was one of the first people to kind of like 
take beach volleyball on full-time year-round, not just in the summer in Canada specifically. We didn't really have set structured programs at that time. And and I know that I wanted to do this like wholeheartedly 100%. After school, I would be so tired. I'd, I'd go to practice and then I'd have workout. And, and then by the time I was done that, you know, I'd go home, I'd eat dinner and then I'd have to do school and, and then do it all over the next day. And it was starting to weigh on me. And it, it started to kind of just like take away the excitement and the passion and the love that I had for this game. And it started to feel like work. And I felt like I was kind of alone in this space and all my friends were doing other things. And and I remember I questioned a lot. I was like, is this the right choice for me? Like, is this what I want to be doing? I want to wholeheartedly commit to this dream and I want to make this happen. But I feel like I'm at this point in my life, I feel like I'm sacrificing so much that it's it's going to make me lose my love for the sport. And I remember having these conversations with my parents and I was going into my last year of high school, I guess my senior year. And I had the choice to, if I wanted to continue playing club volleyball, or if I wanted to, you know, specifically stay and play beach volleyball only. And I was kind of one of the only people doing that. So I wasn't involved in a team. It was very lonely. I think beach volleyball gets this reputation. People don't really realize it can be very lonely because you're not on a team of like 12 to 16 girls. It's just you sometimes and you and your partner. And so I remember I ended up choosing to to do beach volleyball because it seemed like that was the right decision for my dream. And in hindsight, I learned very quickly that that wasn't the right decision for myself. And I remember after my senior year heading into university, I decided I wanted to play indoor volleyball again and be on a team and, and just have that like university experience and allow myself that experience to not just be like so dialed in and focused on this one thing, which might sound counterintuitive, but to allow myself the experience of of finding the joy and the passion and the love again and being surrounded by a support system. And so heading into university, I joined my varsity team. And that was probably the best decision for me when I look back, because it allowed me to find the joy again, create a really great network of teammates and, and eventually like my best friends and my sisters and it just made my whole university experience so much better and so much more fulfilling it made me a better athlete it made me a better leader in a lot of ways and it made me a better person i learned how to time manage and prioritize and so i think those years were very formative for me and i feel like yeah i felt a little bit of the burnout and i feel like i learned really important lessons and i try and echo those lessons to to other young girls who who need the advice because i think it's important to just like allow yourself some grace and uh, while still being true to who you are and, and wanting to accomplish things, you can still allow yourself this grace period to still find joy. You're, I mean, you're so young and, and, and you just, you love what you do. And, and I hope that you love what you do and, and you don't want to lose that, especially at a young age, you want to avoid burnout as much as possible. I think it's really awesome that you, kind of recognize that you were lonely and like it's interesting because you know you and I have some similar similar stories here because I was in a very individualized sport as well which is ski racing with an Olympic Canadian father like you and so in a way I had like the best support system but my sport and being a woman in skiing growing up in Alaska it was very lonely I, I actually felt the exact same way you did and that is one of the reasons why I shifted to soccer before I went to college. And I was around that same age, like 15, 16 years old, where I made that shift. And so I think, you know, just reflecting on your experience, you started representing Canada internationally at a really young age. I mean, you were 16 years old and it was a pretty organic transition for you on the beach volleyball side to go to that level. But it's so interesting what you're saying, because I, I think you want to just listen to how you're feeling and ultimately make the best decision for yourself, which should be really, really hard to do if you feel like the pressure from certain coaches or family members or teammates, but leaning into like how you feel and then making those shifts like you did heading into university and look at you now. I mean, you went back to beach volleyball and went on to, you know, to be on Team Canada again. So there's so many different ways to get to your dream. And I love that you leaned into how you were feeling in that moment 
heading into university. I think it's just a really great, a great piece of advice for other young girls out there. Thank you. And I think, yes, there are so many different ways to accomplish your dream. And there's so many different pathways and, and every journey is unique to yourself. And so what might work for somebody might not work for you. And so I think it's important to recognize that. And there's a lot of trial and error in this process. And I think it's okay to error. And along the process, you'll probably find out that things don't work. And that does not mean that you're a failure. I think it's just, again, a lot of trial and error. And I think that's so important to recognize we're all in a different pathway and that's okay. You don't need to shame yourself. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about that first tournament that you went to in college because you came in last. So I think, I think that this is similar to what a lot of young women face when they go from high school sports to college sports is all of a sudden, you know, you're the top of your game in your city or your school, and then you have to make this big leap and, and it's, it's different, right? In your case, you went from beach to, to indoor, but at, at the same time, you did go to a different, a different environment. So what about that experience? Would you, would you say you learned from in terms of like resilience and confidence that other young women could take into their first couple years as they're transitioning to college? Yeah, I actually love this story so much. And it, it was actually my very first international beach volleyball event. And I remember that it was in Turkey. It was the under 19 world championships. And I was coming from Canada. And we were the Canadian champs, you know, back to back years and provincial champs. And back home, we were so good at, at our sport. And we earned this right to represent Canada internationally at the Youth World Championships. And we went and we were so excited and and also really nervous, but almost maybe too, not too confident, but we didn't really know what to expect. And we, again, we were coming from being the best in our country, the best in, in our area. And so when we went internationally, it kind of just opened my eyes and we finished dead last. Like we did not make it out of our pool which was a really hard realization. And there were a couple of incredible lessons from this whole experience, but I remember very vividly how the, the feeling of how embarrassing it was to finish dead last, especially when you felt like you were at the top of your game back home and then you finished dead last in this tournament and you're representing Canada. And it's just, you do kind of feel embarrassed and shame and you don't want to show your face when you go back to Canada and it's just like oh my gosh like you could really let that weigh on you and I remember thinking well I've got a couple choices here I could really let this weigh on me I could really let this define who I am as an athlete and think that I don't have a, a chance internationally in this game or I could take the lessons and learn and experience what I saw other countries doing and how they're operating and how they're training and what level they're at and use that as motivation and use that as a way to just kind of like survive and, and get better and learn and thrive and, and become the player that I want to be and give myself another shot and give myself that boost of confidence and push myself and see how far I can go. Like see, really see where I can take this. And fortunately, a couple of years later, after lots of training and lots of hard work and lots of ups and downs. We went back to the, the world championships. This time it was on home soil and we finished second. And I remember for myself, my very first international tournament, I finished last. And then a couple years later, coming on top of the podium, not on the very top, but on the podium was a huge realization in resilience for me and in perseverance. And in belief in yourself as well. And in hard work, I think there's just so much that sports can teach you and, and that specifically failures can teach you. I think it's how you respond to the failures that's going to be able to guide the rest of your career. And I think I'm still learning these lessons to this day. I've been doing this for so long. I'm almost 30 now. For more than half my life, I've been doing this and I'm still learning these lessons. And these are the hardest lessons, but they're the most beautiful ones. They're going to be the most painful ones, but they're going to be the ones that you grow from. And I think I always go back to that memory because it's really special and I think it's really formative, but you always have a choice on how you respond to failure. And I think it tells a lot about a person on, on what they choose to do. Absolutely. Well, I love that story. And you were still in high school when you experienced the finishing last, transitioning to a different stage, you know, in your case, a world stage. 
coming in with Team Canada. But a lot of girls, most women are going from like one stage of like high school or club sports into college. And that transition can be can be really hard, too, because you're probably going to fail in a couple different areas and probably not going to be the best on the team right away. So reflecting back on your experience in, in college, you were very successful and were the first team all-star and the York Lions Women Athlete of the Year. So reflecting back now, like what did you do, I guess, to, to have such a successful transition? And was it as good as we're reading here on paper with all these <laughs> accolades? Or there's some tough times in there that you would want to share to our community? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think it was as smooth sailing as, as it is on, on paper. I think, of course, there were tough times. And initially, when I went into university, I was recruited to be a certain position. I was actually, if, if there are any volleyball listeners out there, I was recruited to be a libero, which is kind of like a defensive specialist, mostly because I was on the smaller end of of height, specifically in our sport, and I had really good ball control. And so they just thought, you know, put her in this position. And I felt very, truthfully, I felt very limited in this position because I felt like I had more to offer. And I was kind of put it into this box. And, and I remember throughout my first year, I just felt like I had untapped potential and, and I wanted to do more, but I didn't really know how to ask for it. Or I didn't really know if it was my right or if I just had that privilege to be able to do so. And I remember in my second year of university, we went to this exhibition tournament and one of, one of the, the starting attackers, she got injured and we needed a, a sub last minute. And, and because I actually played beach volleyball, I had a, a wide variety of skill sets and they, as a joke, put me in, in her position. And, and I thought, oh my gosh, okay, well, this is an opportunity. I could take this, you know, this is funny. Everybody thinks it's a joke, you know, this game doesn't really matter. Let's just see how I do. And I thought, but I could also like really prove myself here and I could use this opportunity to, you know, take it really seriously. And, and I actually was the top point scorer of that game. And I remember I surprised myself even, and I think I surprised my team and my coaches. And, and after that point, I became a starting left side and a starting front row hitter. And I felt like I really rose to the occasion in that moment. And it was kind of my opportunity to prove myself and to prove that I, I can do more. And I think from that point, yeah, I think what I ended up doing and, and being a leader on the team was to just lead through my actions. And I always kind of felt that was my way of, of leading, not by like telling people what to do or, or, but just kind of like through my actions. And, and I feel like I surrounded myself with the right people and, and had really, I felt really lucky and blessed to have the team that I had because we all kind of pushed ourselves on the court. It was such a supportive and amazing group of women that I played with at really important times of our lives. And, and it brought us all really close, but I think it was, we had a really great team culture and atmosphere that allowed ourselves to push each other and still be very supportive of each other. And, and I just felt yeah, I felt like it was an important transition from coming from high school into university, into this unknown, this big world. And you're kind of just at the bottom of the totem pole and you don't know where your place is and you don't know, you know, what you can ask for. Or you feel shy or you feel, you know, a little bit more reserved. I think these are the moments that it, it's, it's your time to shine, your time to push through it and untap your potential and just see what's possible for you. And, and I think I was able to do that in that exhibition game. But I think there are multiple other ways to do that. And just by asking as well and having conversations and putting yourself out there, those are the ways that you can kind of see what you're capable of doing. I love it. Well, after university, you kicked off your then amazing pro career. You are a six-time FIVB gold medalist, 12-time FIB medalist, and five-time Canadian champion. But the list goes on to two-time AVB champion, Commonwealth champion, and also world champion most recently. So you've had some success after college. And I would love just for you to share with our community as you reflect back on that like run after university, what are the three things that have really set you up for success that all these young women in college who are thinking about going pro should consider? Oh, yeah, those are great questions. And I feel like this is such an important time in somebody's career, especially a young woman. It's it's so huge. And I, and I feel like one of the most important things that you need is, is you need one, 
an amazing support system. And it doesn't have to be very big, but it has to be filled with people or even a person. You just need to have a space where you feel safe, you feel that you can be vulnerable in, but that you feel that you're being pushed and you're being challenged and you're surrounded by people who have your best interest in mind and that love you and that respect you and that want to see you thrive and that want to see you tap your potential. If you find someone or if you surround yourself with people who see before you see what you're able to accomplish, you're going to be so far ahead of everybody else. And that's just kind of sourcing out people who, again, you feel connected to, that you feel that you can trust and that you feel safe with. And that was, it's so important to me because leaving university and moving to this new chapter of my life meant that I was going to be leaving home, right? And so I had to find a community and I had to find a safe space for me to go to that I felt like I could be myself, that I could be pushed and that I could accomplish my dreams in a safe environment. And so I feel like that's so important. And secondly, you have to be able to know and ask for things that you need. Like be in tune with yourself and really be honest. Like look in the mirror and ask yourself, what are the things that I need to be able to be successful or to thrive? Or what what are the things that I need to feel fulfilled or to feel like I can accomplish my dreams? And don't be afraid to ask for them. I think it's often where young women, we feel silenced or we feel like we don't have the ability or the privilege to be able to ask for things that we want, or maybe we're too bossy or, or whatever it is. And don't listen to those narratives, like ask for what it is that you want, recognize. And if you don't know, then again, trial and error, find out what it is that you need to be able to be your best. And it will, honestly, it will change over time. Those things will evolve over time. And you might not know until later. And that's totally fine. Like I'm still learning. I'm still trying to figure out what my body needs, what my mind needs, what I need to be able to be the best. And that has changed. It looks different than it did three years ago. It looks different than it did five years ago. And yeah, I feel like those are are just really, really important. And thirdly, I guess I just want to say like, give yourself a break. Like don't be so hard on yourself. I think it's really easy for female athletes, athletes in general, who are so competitive to just go 100%. And if you're not performing, you feel like a failure. And I think that can be so detrimental where just give yourself that grace, allow yourself to learn, allow yourself to make mistakes and allow yourself to fail. I think those are so important. And those are some of the biggest lessons I've had. And the feeling sucks. I'm not going to lie. It's not easy. It's so hard. Like you hate not being able to accomplish what you want to accomplish right away, but let it happen. Give it time and allow yourself to grow and learn and, and don't put so much pressure on yourself because that will come with time. Thank you for listening to the Voice in Sport podcast. My name is Asha Bolhak, and I'm the producer of this Voice in Sport podcast episode and the lead producer of the Voice in Sport podcast. I run track and cross country at the University of Houston, and I love working with Voice in Sport in order to support young girls and women in sports. I would really love it if you would join us in trying to make a change. Go follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Voice in Sport for more amazing content. You can also sign up for free and join our community of female athletes at voiceinsport.com for mentorship, sports content, and inspiration. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed the rest of this episode. I really love this conversation around grace and giving yourself more of that. I often, as an entrepreneur, I'm trying to remind myself of that myself. (laughs) I'm not on the competitive world stage like you, but I always say, okay, like, give yourself some grace, give yourself a break. And I just wonder for you, what does that look like? You know, can you, can you share what that looks like to our community? Almost like your favorite ways of giving yourself grace or self-care or really making sure that you're, you know, like enjoying the journey because you know, there's going to be those ups and downs. What does it look like for you? It it looks like so many different things. And and I'll give you a couple examples, but I do want to say like, the, the path that we choose as female athletes or as female entrepreneurs is uncomfortable just by nature. And that's such a great place to be because it's a place of growth. Like I think when you get outside your comfort zone, that is when you know that you are pursuing something really difficult and it's really worthwhile. And so I think it's also important to realize when you're in those uncomfortable situations, you have to allow yourself to grow through them and give yourself that grace. So let's see, for a practice, for instance, and this is 
this like hits home because yesterday's practice for myself, I wasn't happy with. Like, I, I don't think that I performed very well. I didn't execute the way that I wanted to in specific areas. And I just left that practice feeling really disappointed in myself. And like, I, I just didn't come through for myself, for my team. And I could have let it ruin my entire day. And I just focus on the negatives. And so even in an example like this, allowing yourself to think about the entirety of the practice and stepping outside of it and not just focusing on the negatives, but giving yourself the grace and be like, oh, but I actually did this really well. So let's focus on on this and what I did well here and give yourself, I'd say like two ups and two downs of practice, like not just not being so hard on yourself that you only focus on the negatives, but think about, you know what? this I actually did really well on. I'm going to applaud myself for this and pat myself on the shoulder, even though I don't want to. I know I did well on this and I deserve a, a pat on the shoulder for this and not let it ruin the rest of my day. I feel like since graduating and since going pro, volleyball is kind of like the one thing, this sport is the one thing that, that I do. It's a 24-7 job and it's so consuming that it's so easy to take over your entire day. But then allowing yourself when you come home to have that break, to have that reset and have that space from whatever just happened previously. And so when I do come home, if I'm very negative, I try not to be. But then I, I have these little reminders that will kind of get me out of that funk and, and allow me to, again, kind of give myself grace, whether really it's embarrassing, but I'll put on music and I'll have like a little dance party. I'll put on a really nice song and I'll just like get the energy out of my body and literally dance by myself in my room or in my, in, in my bathroom or whatever that looks like. I also, that's just a kind of like a quick, a quick remedy. I love just going out for a walk can be really peaceful listening to to a podcast. I love going to concerts often by myself too. So if I have the time, it's been tricky during COVID, but before that I would go to concerts by myself all the time and just allow myself that evening or that that afternoon to just like be present in someone else's talent and get outside of my world and and give myself that space from from all the pressures that I put on myself and just realize that like being in that moment is part of the journey. It's not, it's not all encompassing on the court or, you know, how practice went that day. That's not indicative of how your journey is going or how, you know, if you're worthwhile, if you're stepping up to the plate, I think it's all part of it. It's all these little memories that you allow yourself grace in. And I think even on the road, it's so easy to get so focused and bogged down on being so present and and you know you, you have to stick to the routine you have to stick to the schedule there's no getting out of it you're just you're so in it you're in the zone but allowing yourself to maybe go explore a new city that you're in walk around make memories every time you're out there i think there's this misconception that when you're driven and you're so focused and you're in the zone that you can't get out of it and and you can't go explore and make memories at that same time. And I feel like it took me a long time to realize that, but that's me giving grace in a very high pressure situation is, is being able to just like step away from the situation, look back and be like, look, I'm in a really cool city. I'm in Germany right now, or I'm in, you know, Greece, like let's go explore, let's go have some Greek food and let's enjoy this moment and not put so much pressure on having to perform all the time. And I think obviously like giving myself asking for breaks is also a way to give yourself grace and not feeling guilty or shame in that. I think there were a lot of times where I would feel burnt out or physically, mentally fatigued. And I didn't know if I would be able to just like carry the level that I needed to perform at practice. And so by asking and speaking again to people that you feel very safe with, being like, look, maybe I don't feel my best today. Maybe I don't feel my best tomorrow. Like I need, I, maybe I need a break. Maybe I'm going to take this weekend to just kind of decompress and do that with confidence and grace again, I think is so important. And I think we all have to feel like we can ask for that because there's so much, there's so much good in just taking a break and a breather. It doesn't have to be for a full weekend or it could be for a week or it could be for an hour, whatever it is, just recognizing that and allowing yourself the permission. You don't have to ask for permission from anyone. It's kind of just from yourself. You just have to like have these conversations with yourself and it makes the whole process so much more enjoyable. I love it. The power of self-talk, right? Like those conversations that you're having in your head, they can make it or break it for you as an athlete. It's one of the things we talk a lot about at Voice and Sport and why we have so many sports psychologists part of our community, because we want girls to tap into the mental side of the game 
And we also really want them to tap in and emphasize recovery. So all of the things you're mentioning right now are so important. It's amazing to hear that you've really taken that on as like a priority, especially it sounds like after college and into your professional life. It's probably one of the reasons why you've won so many championships and why you've continued to play for so long. So we know one of those amazing partners that we have in common is Whoop. We launched our Whoop High Viz Blue Band on April 19th, which is really exciting. And the portion of the proceeds goes back to gifting girls with memberships to voice and sport so they can access sports psychologists and amazing athlete mentors like you. So, you know, tell us a little bit about how Whoop has helped you optimize rest and recovery and how it's helped you improve this aspect of giving yourself grace. Yeah. First of all, congratulations. This is so exciting. The blue band is so beautiful. And I, I'm just so honored to be part of this. And, and you're doing amazing work for young females everywhere. So thank you and congratulations. Being a part of the WHOOP community has been really impactful for my my performance. And it, it's actually, I didn't even realize it at first. To be honest, I when I first heard of WHOOP and, and saw everyone had WHOOP, and I was like, what is this? It's kind of just like a, a fitness tracker. Is it like Fitbit? And I realized it wasn't even close. It was so much more than that. And there was so much that I did not realize that I was not in tune with about my body. And when I spoke earlier about, you know, knowing what your body needs, knowing what you need, WHOOP was actually a big part of that for me to be able to understand what I was feeling and what the reality was, you know data is power. Information is power. And I didn't realize that there was a, a, a lots of moments in my life where I was just not listening to my body and it was sending me signals and I was pushing them away. And so when I had the data in front of me, it was so important for me to see, especially when it came to recovery and, and resting. And so, you know, seeing how I'm sleeping, seeing how I'm engaged for the day, like how my body is prepared, how it's recovered from the day before, seeing and realizing maybe there was this training session that I didn't think was that training on my body. But when I look and I see the data, like it's so easy as athletes to kind of just push through. I think we're just trained to do that. Like our body is machines, which is so unrealistic because we're human. And we're often, we're just pushing through or pushing through. And I think WHOOP allowed me to realize, oh no, you know, this was difficult on my body today. I have to take rest and recovery extra important. Like I have to really, really figure out what I need to do to recover so I can be better for tomorrow. And so I think the, the data was huge. And not only that, the great part is you can kind of create your community and, and your teams. And, and so I have a team with my strength coach and with my coach. And so they're also able to see, you know, how I'm recovering, how hard I'm working. And we have conversations. And if we notice that my recovery is a little bit lower, we'll implement that into the training. And so we're taking these signals from my body, which I think historically I've kind of ignored because again, you're so ingrained to just push through and to fight through it and fight against your body. And now I feel like with WHOOP, I'm allowed to work with my body and this information that I can just share, be like, look, I'm hundred percent recovered. Let's really get after it. Or, you know, look, I didn't have a great sleep last night or look, yesterday was really challenging. My body hasn't quite recovered we modify accordingly, you know? And I think it's just so important, again, to just be in tune with yourself. Like now I feel like I've gotten to a point where I can finish a training day and I kind of know what strain I'm at, or, you know, I can wake up the next morning and I know how, what my recovery will be like. And so I've started to just kind of be in tune with my body again. And whoop was a big part of that. I think it's so important. I love it. Well, I love it when you can use data for good. And I think that's that's one of the things I've been doing is just like monitoring my sleep more. Even as an entrepreneur, like I do need to make sure I'm prioritizing sleep. Otherwise, it's one of the biggest performance benefits that you can have for yourself the next day, which I think is completely underestimated, especially when you're in high school and college. <laughs> you don't even think about it. I could go on for hours about this because, you know, when you think of recovery, you think, okay, fuel, protein, you know, stretching ice baths, all this stuff. But really, sleep is the number one form of recovery. And I didn't realize it until later in my career. And I wish I learned it earlier because it is a game changer. Absolutely. And I didn't realize it until until whoop, until I had the data that maybe my sleep wasn't consistent, that my sleep was not enough. And so now that I have this kind of this tracking, it gives me, it's almost like a competition with myself. Like, how can I sleep better? How can I get my recovery to be better? And 
yeah, I think it's just so important to, to really monitor that and prioritize sleep and use the wearable and whoop to be able to help you to do it. I think there are certain things that you can take from it because it can be overwhelming if, if you don't know what you're looking at or what's important or priority for you. For me, it's recovery and sleep. Those are the two metrics that I really look at every day and really analyze and I take seriously because I know it's so important for my career and for my body. I love that. Well, let's talk about other kind of data points and specifically around equity in the world of volleyball. I mean, a big part of what we do at Voice and Sport is advocate for change. We have an incredible program called the Viz Advocate Program where girls in high school and college can join us, get trained on different areas that we're really trying to get after. Right now, we have a huge initiative around Title IX as it's the 50th anniversary in the United States of Title IX. But outside of that, we have nine global goals that we are advocating for as a community. And I'm curious to hear a little bit more about the volleyball world. Like, what does the landscape look like between men and women? Is it equal? How is the prize money, the pay, the media coverage? So as being one of the women at the top globally in this sport, where, where, are, where is the progress? Is it equal? What is left to really try to improve? I would love to speak about this and thank you for everything that you do and that voice and sport does because I think it's so important and I I feel really proud in a lot of ways of my sport but let's start let's quickly let's start with the media coverage because I feel like that is kind of just very top of mind and very easy for a lot of people to kind of zero in on because when you look at beach volleyball if you google it if you see the news articles a lot of it is about our uniforms and the sexualization of female athletes female beach volleyball players specifically. And I feel like we can get into this a little bit later, but I feel like it takes away a lot of the sport itself and the sport in in a bigger picture. I feel like the constant narrative of our uniforms and our bodies takes away so much from the work that we do as an athlete, not even as a female athlete, but as an athlete, the work that we put in our performance, our, our, our work ethic, the way that we execute, the thing that we've dedicated our entire lives to is being stripped down to how we look or what our bodies do or what our uniform looks like. And it just hurts my heart sometimes because we put in so much time and effort, the same that you know our male counterparts do or, or whatever. And the only thing that's getting attention is our uniform. And I think what's also lacking here is people might not know, and this might be a surprise, is that beach volleyball is one of the only professional sports that pay their men and women equally. And it's it's always been the case for as long as I can remember. And I'm so proud to be a part of a sport that does pay their counterparts equally. I think it's something that needs to have more attention and that I want people to know more about because I feel like we should be supporting those sports as a community, as society. We should be supporting and uplifting and investing in sports that pay men and women equally. And yet I feel like the support hasn't always been there from investors or from the media or or just, you know, in general, I think Beach Volleyball has 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 a much higher potential to be able to grow and I think it's just, I wish people would understand and realize that that is a huge step, not just for female athletes, but for sports. I think, I think it's a huge step. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of the attention just gets put onto our, our uniforms. And so I really want to make it clear that we've done some incredible things as a sport. And we're very inclusive, especially when it does come to our uniforms. I think ultimately what might get forgotten is the element of choice as female athletes we we choose to wear we have options to wear whatever we want on how we feel most comfortable on what what the conditions provide if it's cold we can wear leggings and long sleeves you know if it's 40 degrees and you're dying you can you can wear you know a, a bikini and i think more often than not the female athlete will choose what they feel comfortable in, what they think will allow them to perform at their highest level, what they feel comfortable in playing in. And if that is a bikini, I think that choice piece needs to be respected. And I think there was a lot of coverage over the last few years. I think beach volleyball got a bad reputation of not allowing their athletes to be able to choose what they want to wear. But I think that was a misconception because we do have that ability to choose what we want. And I, we were actually confused with this news article that went around 
we were confused with beach handball where they didn't allow their female athletes to wear shorts. I don't know if you're aware of that article. Yeah, I was going to I was going to bring that up. Yeah. So so when that article came out, I was shocked because the title said beach volleyball and they don't allow their athletes to wear shorts. And I was like, wait, no, that's not right. And then I realized that it wasn't beach volleyball. It was beach handball. And that was infuriating for me because, I mean, th- that whole situation, I was shocked that they would not allow them to wear what they wanted because I come from a sport where, again, you can wear what you feel comfortable wearing. I remember so vividly from the Rio Olympics, there's this really great image that I have in my mind. It was a game between Egypt and a game between Germany. And in the picture, Germany was wearing, you know, just their their regular bikini uniform. And then the the female athletes from from Egypt, they were covered head to toe. And, and, And I think it was just such a beautiful representation of the inclusivity of our sport and of how beach volleyball, female beach volleyball athletes, they look different and it's beautiful and it's accepted and it's represented. And yeah, I feel like that part is missing. And I feel like the media, I hate this, this narrative that sex sells and they really just kind of like hone in on that piece of our sport. And there's so much more to us as female athletes. And there's so much more to female athletes in general than just how we look. And I don't think it's just specific to beach volleyball, but across the board, the questions that female athletes get asked, it's different than the questions that male athletes get asked. And I think it's so important to advocate for yourself as a female athlete on what you choose to wear, what you choose to feel comfortable in, the questions that you choose to answer and the responses that you choose to say, they are so powerful. And I want you to just kind of own that moment and own the story that you want to tell and own, own your story. I think that's so important and create that path and be that, that trailblazer because you know I feel like it's just the beginning for female athletes and for female sports. Well, I love, we wrote about this, a great, we have a great article if you guys want to check it out on voiceandsport.com right now, just talking about this, the sexploitation and of really the media coverage of women athletes. And it's not just in volleyball, it comes across in other sports too. And I think your perspective is really, really interesting because the Norwegian beach handball team, when they stood up about sexualization of their uniforms, they were met with a fine, right? It was a $1,700 fine for violating the International Handball Federation rules that states that women have to wear bikini shorts while men are allowed to wear long shorts. And then there was a similar situation with the the German gymnastics team. And they said they were tired of sexualization of gymnastics. And so they wore unitards stretched to their ankles rather than exposing their bodies in leotards that's more traditional. So I think what you're saying about the choice is, is really powerful. But when the media continues to sexualize women and in these sports, it, it makes it really hard, I think, for young girls where then all of a sudden you get into this comparison trap of like thinking that you need to be looking a certain way to be performing. And it takes away from what all of these amazing women athletes are doing, which is like incredible human performance. So i it's very frustrating, but at the same time, there are these rules out there in some of these federations. So you're saying that in beach volleyball at the at the national level, both in Canada, it sounds like, and the U.S., that there is no such rule, that you can choose what you want to wear. This is for the international level. I don't know if the, the rules change actually at the national level. I would hope not, and I would be very disappointed if they do, but I know internationally, you have the choice to wear shorts, you have the choice to wear leggings, you have the choice to wear a t-shirt or a tank top or a long sleeve or just a sports bra. It really is up to you. And I think it is really dependent on the conditions as well. Like I often play in, I just came from a tournament in Mexico and I was wearing a t-shirt and leggings because it was a little chilly and I just felt more comfortable wearing a t-shirt and leggings. And, you know, we're not met with any resistance. And I was just watching another tournament in Brazil this past weekend and the Norwegian beach volleyball team, they were wearing shorts. And it it is, it is, this is at the highest level, the highest international level of beach volleyball. And, And that's what is accepted. And I think when you look at kind of the examples of the beach handball team, 
and they're met with a fine, like that is such a dated way to go about things. And I, I think we as female athletes, one, have to speak up and I'm so proud of them for speaking up and for it's extremely uncomfortable and you're going to be met with pushback. And I'm sure the media could take things and twist things however they want, but to be able to speak your truth and do it with confidence and do it with knowing your story and creating that story for yourself is so important. And as female athletes on the other side of it, we have to support them. You know, we have to be able to cheer them on and and stand up with them and for them because it's not easy to to speak up, especially in a, a society or, or or especially with media who who tends to kind of twist the stories and, and change it the way that they want to. We need to be able to support each other. And and I think that's so important as female athletes in general at, at all times. Well, there are so many that like antiquated policies still out there and federation rules or even in the NCAA, you know, some of the sports still require women to be in all of the same uniform, which then eliminates the choice, right? Because then you can't wear what you want or feel comfortable in because you all have to look the same. And you know, I think there's still like work to do in this space. It's one of the areas that we're going to be advocating for over the next year. And I'm excited to kind of dig into this area. So anybody out there listening to this that wants to join our advocacy team, this is on our radar. And we're, we're definitely going to be looking out for all sports where there's still these antiquated policies and try to help help other young women. But it's important because you and I talked about this before, but when you don't feel comfortable in your skin, you know, it can affect your confidence or how you feel about playing that sport. To continue listening to this podcast, please go to voiceinsport.com and sign up for free. Melissa goes on to talk about moments when she felt uncomfortable in her own skin or self-conscious about her own body and how she dealt with those feelings along the way. She also shares with us how she learned to reframe her relationship with her body and why she believes that she performs better when on her period. Head to minute number 49, you're not going to want to miss this, to get started on voiceandsport.com. This week's episode was produced and edited by Viz creator Zosha Bulhawk, a track and cross-country runner from the University of Houston. And we're so thankful to have Melissa sharing her story with us today and so excited to see the incredible things she will achieve. You can follow Melissa on Instagram at Melissa Humana Paredes and subscribe, of course, to the Voice and Sport podcast. Give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, send this episode to a friend that you think might enjoy the conversation. You can follow us on Instagram at Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Voice and Sport. You might also want to check out some previous episodes like podcast number 59 with Kristen Holmes and podcast number 69 with Emily Krause, both incredible viz experts that touch on a few of the topics that we hit on today, like periods, sleep, and feeling your body. If you're interested in joining our community, sign up for a free account at voiceandsport.com to get started. When you join our community, you gain access to our exclusive content, podcasts, mentorship sessions from professional athletes, and access to the top viz experts in sports psychology and nutrition. See you next week on the Voice and Sport podcast.